Well, good evening. It's a joy to be together tonight again to worship our Savior and our God. We do have some visitors with us, and we're really privileged that you're in our midst to honor the God of heaven and to worship him, honor uh, his son, Jesus Christ, who loved us and came to die for us so that we might live forever. So thank you for being here on this important occasion. We'll be talking this evening about a word of encouragement from a person who was called the son of encouragement. After the dispersion of Christians due to Paul's persecution, we can read in Acts chapter 8 that the gospel began to be spread far and wide as saints were scattered. Some went as far as Antioch and preached to Grecian Jews there with a lot of success. These were men from Cyprus and Cyrene. And we pick up the reading then in Acts chapter 11, in verse 23, when we find that the church in Jerusalem sent Barnabas to go as far as Antioch to observe the situation, encourage the saints, no doubt, and uh, hopefully with the uh, idea of coming back and letting them know what was going on. So the church sends out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. We can read then in Acts 11 and verse 23 that he came when he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart, they should continue with the Lord. What a a simple word of exhortation and encouragement. That with purpose of heart, we should continue with the Lord. Barnabas was given his name by the apostles. Barnabas wasn't his actual given name from birth. His name was Joseph. But we can read in Acts chapter 4 and verse 36 that Joseph was named Barnabas by the apostles, and the name Barnabas means son of encouragement. So here is the son of encouragement giving words of encouragement to the saints at Antioch and to us as well. And the encouragement that he gives them is that with purpose of heart, they should continue with the Lord. The word continue there uh, is from a Greek word which means to remain with, to stick with, to hold fast to, to remain still, to tarry, or to stay. So, I say all that to say, it pretty much means the same in the original language as it does in English, right? And continue with is a great translation of that. Continue with the Lord. What does it take to continue with the Lord? Well, I can tell you one thing it takes, you have to be with Him to begin with. Because unless you're with Him, not with Him, unless you're with Him to begin with, you're not going to be able to continue with Him, right? So these were people who were truly disciples of Christ. They were with the Lord. In fact, you might remember that disciples were called Christians, followers of Christ, first at Antioch, where Barnabas is encouraging them to continue with the Lord. We want to continue with the Lord. And the only way we're going to do that really is by heeding the encouragement of the son of encouragement who says with purpose of heart continue with the Lord. Our hearts have to be in the right place. Our hearts have to purpose to continue with the Lord. There are a lot of things in this world that may happen by chance. The wise man of old says that time and chance happens to everybody. But there are a lot of things that don't happen by chance. And that can only happen on purpose and with purpose. And that is the case of staying with the Lord. 
or one of those cases, I should say, the Christian must be with the Lord. And to do that, he must purpose to do that. So the life of a Christian is a life lived with purpose of heart. The Apostle Paul encourages Timothy to imitate him. Uh, Paul, of course, a companion of Barnabas. I wonder how much they talked about this, that it takes purpose <laughs> to be a disciple of Christ. You have to purpose in your heart to do the things that you need to do. Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 10, and he tells him, you have carefully followed my doctrine, my manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance. But Timothy could see that Paul was living a life of purpose. He was living an intentional life. The life that he lived as a disciple of Christ, as an apostle of Christ, was not an accidental life. Paul lived with purpose. And Paul encourages then Timothy, you've seen my purpose. You follow that example. The use of our time is certainly a reflection of what our purpose is. Someone said that time is the coin of your life. You spend it. Don't allow others to spend it for you. And don't spend it on nothing. We must spend our lives with purpose. You ever wasted money? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because I know you did. <laughs> you ever, you know, back in the day I can remember uh, getting some of those first paychecks when I was a, a boy. I started working as a boy, a 12-year-old boy, and getting a paycheck. And my dad of course, insisted that I save some of it, but also I got to keep some of it. And I would put that in my wallet, you know, and carry it around with me. And I'd look then in my wallet at some point or other, and there wasn't anything in there. Where did it go? I didn't even know where it went. I'd spent it on candy, on hamburgers, on who knows what, but it was gone. Our lives can be like that when we're not purposeful with how we spend them. So listen to what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 15. Walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Make the most of your time. Spend it, use it wisely, I think is the implication of what Paul is saying. Be wise about it. Just like my father would always encourage me to be wise with my money. God is encouraging us to be wise with our time. To use it Use it intentionally and not spend it for nothing, but to be purposeful and wise. Wisdom. Wisdom suggests purpose, doesn't it? We're not wise by accident. Wisdom comes from much prayer. It's a gift from God. It's shown us in His Word. And it's lived out. Wisdom is skill in living. And to have skill in living, you must be very purposeful with how you live. Very intentional. The son of encouragement has encouraged us to, with purpose of heart, we must be very intentional about serving the Lord, about staying with the Lord. There's a character in the Old Testament that was uh, especially this way. He is exemplary in this way. And it is the man Ezra, 
who was a priest and a scribe and a great spiritual leader of the people of God who returned to Jerusalem uh, after the captivity. A great thing is said about Ezra in Ezra chapter 7 and verse 10. It says that Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord, to do it, and to teach statutes and ordinances in Israel. Four things we have to notice about that passage, about Ezra. First, first of all, he had prepared his heart. To prepare the heart suggests purpose of heart, doesn't it? We must get the heart ready. We must, we must engage the heart and determine how we're going to think and do about things. He didn't let Ezra didn't his emotions control him. He controlled his emotions. He controlled his affections. He controlled his desires. And with the purpose of those affections and desires, he prepared his heart. He prepared his heart. You see, he's controlling it. It's not controlling him. It's one thing we need to learn in our world today. It cannot be controlled by our feelings. We must control our feelings. And we do that by setting our heart on the right things. When our hearts are set on God and His Word and His will, the proper feelings will come. But it's getting that heart set. It's getting that heart prepared. That sometimes is our greatest downfall. But Ezra had prepared his heart. And he prepared it to do then three three things. To seek the law, to do the law, and to teach the law. These are very similar to things that Christians must accomplish if they are to continue with the Lord. We must be intentional in our study of God's Word. Studying God's Word cannot be haphazard. It's not going to happen by accident. Your knowledge, your increased knowledge of God's Word is not going to happen by accident. It does not happen by osmosis. You can't lay a Bible under your pillow at night and learn more that way. That's not going to work. It takes study. It takes diligence. And so Paul will write to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15, be diligent. One translation says there to study. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Come to understand the word of truth and use it properly. How intentional, how purposeful are you in your Bible study? How can we continue with the Lord if we're not learning His word? if we're not letting Him communicate to us, if we don't know the direction He wants us to take in life, if we don't know what He expects of us, if we don't know what pleases Him, how can we do any of those things unless we're very purposeful in studying His Word? We come to assemblies, we attend Bible classes, And you can get a lot of good instruction that way. But you can can sit and listen to 10,000 sermons in your lifetime and attend that many Bible classes and still not continue with the Lord. If you're not absorbing it, if you're not taking it away and studying it at home, if you don't have a private study life where you read God's Word and study it and apply it to your life, Timothy, who had companioned with Paul, who had heard a great many great sermons, no doubt. 
was nonetheless instructed to give diligence to study so that he could use word, God's word properly and know it properly. So that's no doubt what Ezra did. He sought the law of God. We should be seeking the will of God. We should be intentional then in our conduct, in applying the word of God to our lives. Not aimless. It's not going to just happen. Even if you know what to do. Even if you know what God said to do. Unless you apply that to your life and are very purposeful in making application to your life, it's not going to happen. It's not an accidental thing. The Apostle Peter will write along this line in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 17. If you call on the Father, and those who are trying to continue with Him, call on the Father, right? If you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. You, you need to have a great regard in the sight of God the Father for how you're behaving. What your conduct is like. You're going to have to get your re the reins on your conduct. Control your conduct to please God. Knowing that, verse 18, you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. The people to whom Peter was writing, and you and I tonight, if we are redeemed, if we are with God, we have been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, which demands of us that we leave our, what was the word? Aimless conduct. Aimless, purposeless, just living day by day with whatever comes along, however we feel, whatever happens, no purpose, aimless. Jesus Christ died to redeem us from aimless conduct that our lives may have a purpose and be lived purposefully. So Peter says, conduct yourselves with fear. Live a godly life, a purposeful life. I think that's what Ezra was trying to do. To learn the law, to do it. That's the next thing it said, right, about Ezra. And then to teach it in Israel. Statutes and ordinances. And so we too, if we're to continue with God, must be intentional when it comes to teaching and evangelism. In Colossians chapter 4 and verse 5, the Apostle Paul speaks in this way. He says, walk in wisdom. Again, you have that idea of wisdom, which suggests intentionality that is skillful, that has understanding. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, outside of Christ. Not talking about outside in the cold. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside of Christ. Redeeming the time. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Several things we need to notice in this passage. Again, the idea that our speech is to be with wisdom. Thoughtful. We don't just say the first thing that comes into our heads. 
We're trying to speak purposefully, carefully, for the best effect to the glory of God as we talk to others. So, with wisdom, redeeming the time, making the most of our opportunities here as well, which again suggests a a purposefulness about the way we interact with others. We've said this many times. But please do not regard your interactions with other human beings as merely everyday experiences without significance. As has been said, you have never been in the presence in your life. You have never been in the presence of a mere mortal. When we are interacting with other human beings, we are interacting with those who will live eternally somewhere. And your interaction with whoever it is, brother, sister in Christ, somebody lost in the world, the person behind you or in front of you at the checkout line, whatever, that person's going to live eternally somewhere. And your interaction with them must not be incidental, but purposeful. You're to glorify God. You're to, as you have opportunity, and look for those opportunities to talk about Jesus for an open door to share God's Word or some portion of God's Word or at least a good word from God's Word with those that we meet and interact with from day to day. Be purposeful in your speech. To those who are outside, to those who are not walking with God, let your speech be always with grace then, seasoned with salt. I've thought a lot about that phrase, seasoned with salt, over the years. A lot of things have been written about it, said about it. I understand that salt makes things palatable. Uh, you know, you get some food, and if it doesn't, if it isn't, if it isn't salted just right, you just got to put a little salt on it, right? It just makes it so much better. Salt preserves things. But when I read that phrase, seasoned with salt, of late, I've come to realize there may be a, a bit of a deeper meaning than we have normally attached to that, a biblical one. And that is, if you look in the Old Testament repeatedly concerning the sacrifices that were made to God, one thing that is said about those sacrifices, almost without exception, is that they were to be seasoned with salt. Do you realize that? <laughs> The sacrifices of the Old Testament were to be seasoned with salt. And I don't think it's much of a stretch at all to look at what Paul is saying here about our words, about the things that we say to those who are outside of Christ, to understand that what Paul is asking, what the Lord is wanting, is that our words be a sacrifice to Him. It's it's not that we're trying to, you know, look cool for ourselves or make an impression on people that they say, wow, that guy really, you know, he's, he, he knows about what's going on in the news and, or whatever it might be. Or he's, 
That, that's not what our interactions with others are about. But our very words are to be words of sacrifice to God. That we are honoring Him by what we say. And again, sacrifice has to be very, very purposeful, very intentional. And I believe that's at least part of what Paul is meaning when he says, let your words be with grace, seasoned with salt. They're a sacrifice. They're a sacrifice to God. They're not your own words. They're not just whatever comes to, you know, to mind. They're words that God wants you to say. We see then something about what it means to live with purpose. Illustrated by Ezra. And all of that comes especially true when we begin to think about prayer. Our theme for this year, God's house is a house of prayer. How else can we continue earnestly and vigilantly and without ceasing in prayer if we have no purpose in our prayer? If there's no intention in our prayer? We noticed this morning in a lesson, Colossians chapter 4 and verse 2, where the Colossians are admonished to continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Vigilance requires intentionality. You must determine to do that. You have a reason to do that. Continuing earnestly is not something you're going to do by accident. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 17, pray without ceasing. There are some things that we do without ceasing that we don't have to think about. Breathing, blinking your eyes, your heart beating. You know, you have all of this autonomic stuff that's going on in your body all the time, right? I, I, I seldom think about, you know, the acid that's in my stomach digesting my food, right? <laughs> I don't think about that. Unless it happens to come back up here, then I think about it a little bit. But you don't have to think about that. It just happens. Prayer doesn't just happen. It's not going to just happen. Particularly prayer that is earnest and vigilant and unceasing it must be intentional. James chapter 5 and verse 17. James was writing about a man who was like us. Elijah. He was a man, as James says, with a nature like ours. Just a living, breathing human being. With weaknesses, with challenges, with obstacles in his life, and sometimes not all that he should have been or could have been, but a servant of God nonetheless. James writes about Elijah. This man with a like nature of ours that he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. He's praying with a purpose, isn't he? That's a powerful prayer. He had purpose in praying it. He wanted to bring the king of Israel to his knees. He wanted to get the attention of the wicked idolaters that had overtaken the land. He wanted people to repent. 
and God's cause to gain the victory. And all of that happened because he prayed a purposeful prayer. When we think about different kinds of prayer, and we'll be studying different kinds of prayer off and on through the year, intercessory prayer must be especially intentional. You can't really pray for someone if you don't think about someone, if you don't set their mind on them, their, their needs, what would be helpful. How, how does this person need to be lifted up before God? We have many instructions and examples in Scripture concerning intercessory prayer. Paul, in writing to the Romans, in Romans chapter 15 and verse 10, begs them to strive together with me in prayers to God for me. That's striving together for somebody in prayer as a church. There's a lot of intentionality there. There, There's a lot of purpose of heart to accomplish that. When we pray for those who are straying, those who have committed sin. Again, that's a very purposeful prayer, isn't it? has to be. James writes in James 5.16, we were just in the verse right after that, talking about Elijah a minute ago, but Elijah's power in prayer is, is in this context because James is talking about praying for one another's sins and trespasses. In James 5.16, he says, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah, a righteous man, prays. And it avails much. We pray for one another's trespasses. And it avails much. God forgives. God heals. God allows both we and the one who has sinned to go forward and onward in His service. That avails much. But all of that is done with purpose of heart. Do you see that? You, you don't do that sleepwalking. None of that. Someone says, well, why don't we? Why don't, why don't I? Why don't, you, why don't we as collective? Why don't we pray more about others? Evangelists like Paul, who begging people to pray for him. Why don't we pray more when we know about sins in the lives of our fellow believers? And especially those that they confess and ask for help with. Are we, are we with purpose of heart continuing with the Lord? Are we living purposefully when it comes to our prayer life. Friends and brethren, I'm going to say this very frankly to you. We are too distracted. We spend too much of our time being distracted. Wasting time on things that are inconsequential to the very neglect of the most consequential things there are. Prayer being one of them. Let's challenge ourselves to quit 
wasting so much time on things that don't amount to a hill of beans, as my father would say, and be purposeful in our prayer life, particularly when it comes to praying for others, praying for the straying. In 1 Samuel chapter 12, Samuel had chastised the people for their sinful attitudes and wanting a king and the people had said, uh, basically, we're sorry, we shouldn't have done that. Pray for us. We're, we realize we've sinned. And Samuel says, well, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. Here are people who needed to be prayed for. And Samuel says, I'm not going to quit praying for you. You need it. The Bible instructs us to pray for all men. Paul, in writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy 2 and verse 1, I exhort first of all that supplication, prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, all who are in authority, that we may lead quiet and peaceable life in all godliness with reverence. There is a purpose to the prayers that Paul is enjoining us to pray here. It has to do with the ability of ourselves to lead this quiet and peaceable life that we all want, but also to bring many to the truth. We'll be talking about this passage more as we go through the year, but just the point. We're to be praying intercessory prayer, intentional prayer for all men, and particularly for our leaders, our government leaders. Intercessory prayer must be especially intentional, for we must remember others unceasingly. And again, that's, that's not an autonomic response. That's not something that just goes uh, without you tending to it. Over and over again. Romans chapter 1 and verse 9. Paul says, without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. In Colossians 1 and verse 9 he says to the Colossians, I do not cease to pray for you. In 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 13 he says, we thank God without ceasing for you because you received the word of God not as the word of men but as it is in truth the word of God and in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 3 he says something to Timothy that I think should weigh on us for he says I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience a pure conscience I guarantee you one thing I do not believe that if Paul were sitting here tonight that I could make him feel guilty about his prayer life. Now I have in the last ten minutes made myself feel guilty about my prayer life. I probably made many of you feel guilty about your prayer life. But I don't think I could make him feel guilty about it. And the reason why is, he says, I serve God with a pure conscience. And then he says, Without ceasing. The next thing he says, without ceasing. I remember you in my prayers night and day. Many years ago, and I've told this story before, I was called by Johnny Richardson, who's passed away now, great friend, brother in Christ. And he called me, said, 
I'm just having trouble staying awake, staying asleep at night. I wake up in the middle of the night and I just, I'm wide awake. He said, but I want you to know I've been praying for you. When I wake up in the middle of the night, I've been praying for you. And I also now, in the last 15, 20 years, wake up a lot in the middle of the night. Many of you know my sleep habits aren't that great. Uh, nothing I can do about that, but I found that prayer is a great thing to do. So did Paul. Night and day. Let us with purpose of heart continue with the Lord. With purpose of heart. The psalmist says, I am continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. We often pray for God to be with us. It's a great prayer. But the psalmist statement here might be something that we all need to consider tonight. He says, I am continually with you. That's purposeful. That's intentional. What about you tonight? Have you chosen to be with the Lord in your life? Are you with the Lord tonight? He's there for you. 24-7. If you need to turn to Him tonight, if you're a Christian, if you need to turn to Him in prayer, He'll be right there. If you're outside the body of Christ and you need to come and obey, as we talked about this morning, to name the name of Jesus and turn away from sin and live a life for Him and be baptized in water for the remission of your sins that you might enter His body, the house of God, the mountain of God. You'd be with the Lord. And He'd be with you. We'd ask you to come while we stand, while we sing.